0: Just for, for parents, what we're going to do is a Sunday school, when we're finished the service, we'll go straight outside and we'll, we'll get everybody outside rather than have folk congesting in corridors. Um, but let's read God's Word. And we're reading from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, reading from verse 5 of Genesis 6. I keep looking for the screen up there. The Word of God, let's hear it the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every... It is the same verse, that's fine. And every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil at the time. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said... I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in, Noah's, in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, and make rooms in it and, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 16 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring the flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on the earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store them away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as god commanded him and then i'm going to read from the gospel and we're reading from the gospel of matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 jesus says this everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, your word that is so ancient and yet so modern, we pray that we would find within it your heart. And so by your Holy Spirit, move our hearts today to hear and have hope for you have done all things for us. Amen. If I can have the screen, Colin. um Find my oh, there it is. Right. Children had uh, Bibles, and um, I, it's really good just to read God's Word. I, I, it, we're going to do, for the next few weeks, um, some stories from Genesis. We're gonna go through Genesis and in a sense we started because we've already done chapters one, two, three, and four right back in in September in the in the run-up to the environmental conference, we looked at creation and, and we went through creation and fall and the story of Cain and Abel. So we're going to pick up the story from there. Now, the Bible Society has produced a beautiful book. Remember the, the, the Adir Theo books that we distributed that were Luke's Gospel and Acts? So Many of you took them away and read them. Well, the same guy that illustrated them has illustrated this book. And it's called Joseph, the Triumph of Grace. And it's actually the story of Joseph, the dream coat and into Egypt and all that God did through him, which is which you find in Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 40. But what they've also done with it is two-thirds of it is just the book of Genesis, right from chapter 1 right through that you can read it. So I I thought was it might help folk just to have a copy of this. And I've actually ordered 50 copies, so they'll hopefully be here next week or the week after. And you can take one away. Um, We'll get more if we need them hopefully we'll need more and you can take them away and just refresh your minds and read through the book of genesis in this beautiful book and we'll get on to joseph eventually maybe in lent ourselves so that's for you um so today the story of noah now, it's one of those stories we're really familiar with, aren't we? We all—I bet—as we as we read it, your 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 minds are going to those Sunday school songs, aren't they? God told Noah to build him an archie, archie, and the, the gopher Wofa, and you know the Floody buddies and all, all all those beautiful stories that you remember. The animals went in two by two: the octopus, cat, and kangaroo, or I don't know. You, you, I got the words wrong, didn't I? Mister Noah, Noah built an ark. All these brilliant songs. Um, all happy with a rainbow. And in fact, you know, almost all of us at times when we bought presents for children, um, we have bought um, these, beautiful, these beautiful nativities or, 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 or we've had the, the, the mobile over the cot with all the, the animals on it. It's great. But actually, this story is a bit of a problem. It's a problem for two reasons for us. First of all, there's that historical question of of, of did it really happen? I'm not going to deal with that today, but just to say, um, as we went through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, uh, I would reiterate what I said there, that this is not a book that is here for us to ask the question, is it historically true or scientifically true? It's a book that's to ask us, does this tell us truly something of the nature of God and the nature of human beings. And that's what I want us to focus on today. That's what I want us to think about. The history is not the question that Genesis is going into. But probably the second question is bigger. There is a reason why when we tell the story to children, we don't read it straight from the Bible. Because what we're actually doing is we're abridging the story. We like the story of the animals and the fluffy things. But what we've actually done is we've, pardon the pun, we've watered it down. We've flushed bits out of it. We've diluted it, as it were. Because when you go into boots and you buy that little thing for the grandchild with the, 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 with the, the, the animals and the Mr. Noah uh, and the rainbow and the, the rain clouds and all the rest of it, it doesn't come with little figures of drowned people, does it? That wouldn't be very good for the children, is it? I bought you a, a Playmobil arc, here's all the corpses. Put a bucket of water on it and they float. You know, it, it's a horrible story at one level. What kind of God is it that kills millions of people in a flood? Let's just name it, because as we were reading it, n- numbers of you were thinking that, weren't you? What does this say about God? The animals went in two by two, but we had the genocide before that. What on earth? But again, One of the things about Bible stories is we have to see them in a context. And one of the things to remember about Genesis as we look at the stories is that they are chapters in a book. And if you want to get the meaning, you have to read the whole book. And I'm unapologetic for this because it's important. Yes, this chapter will tell us something about the God of judgment and we can't get away from that. We'll come back to that later. But we need to start the book at the beginning, and it started with creation. And remember the story is God made all things and delighted in them. He has made the sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, and all of these things. And he kept saying time and time again, right through the beginning of Genesis, three words, it is good. And so we are starting off with a picture of God who's making a creation and absolutely delighting in it. And then once he's made all of creation, he makes human beings, the apex, the top of creation. And he gives all of this beautiful creation to them. And he blesses them and tells them to bless the whole earth. So the first thing that Genesis starts with is not a God of anger and a God we're to be afraid of, but a God of delight, of beauty, of wonder, who loves us and delights in us and wants to bless us. And that is the context that we need to read this next story in. Creation is brilliant, and people are made in God's image. And they are made, in that, again, the picture language of, of Genesis, to walk with him, to have a relationship with him, to be loved by him, and to know the joy of that fulfillment. But, of course, Genesis 3 goes on in, in, in a picture language that, again, tells us something we know. Human beings are beautiful. They're wonderful. But they're also broken. And they're capable of selfishness, wrong choices. They want to be in control. They grasp the apple, and the result is sin. You know, you can say this isn't true, but there's something, isn't there, about human beings and what they get up to in gardens? It was a joke. It's all right. They break the rules. They think it doesn't apply to them. And we all do it. it applies to somebody else. We'll judge them. We'll, we'll tell them that they're bad. But us, we're different. Adam and Eve knew it in the garden. They hid in shame when they did wrong. They didn't need Sue Gray to come along and tell them it was bad. It's too easy a target this morning for the preacher, isn't it? It's just too easy. Genesis 1-4 tells us That sin corrupts everything. And again, the debate about whether Genesis is true is irrelevant at this point, because this is true. We all know this is true. What it does to human relationships that are corrupted. That's the story of Cain and Abel. Work becomes toil. Exploitation. Harmony becomes competition. Male subjugates female. Sexual desire is twisted, and the whole thing that God made to be good is polluted. That's the story that Genesis tells us. And by the way, we only have to look at a newspaper to know it's all true. And whatever you make of seven days of creation and all the stories of Genesis, there are two things that are completely, demonstrably, psychologically, emotionally true. The world is good and the world is broken. I don't know anybody that argues with that. And as I said when we did Genesis, it's the difference between the thing that we know in our heart, between the is and the ought, that we look at the world and we see the way that it is, but something deep within us says, this isn't how it was supposed to be. We know the ought, we know the way it should be. And every time someone says, this isn't right, they are saying, not only is this not good, but it should be good. They're affirming the basic story of Genesis. The world isn't the way it is. If you don't believe that, you just simply say, well, it's, it's horrible, but it just that's, that's just how it is. I didn't about it. The world is the way it is. But actually, Genesis says something else. It's not meant to be this way. Every time someone says, we can do better, every some time someone says, let's fight for justice, let's try to make this whole again, they are affirming Genesis. They are saying, there is a way this world was supposed to be, that it was created to be. And it's not the way it is, although we see glimpses of it. In the beauty, in the love, in the wonderful things that sometimes people do, we see glimpses of the image of God and the beauty of creation. And that's what we find here in Genesis. The Lord saw the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at the time. Now there we have it. The theologians will call this the doctrine of total depravity. What that means is simply this. Sin has touched every area of human life. Every relationship, every aspiration, every dream is touched with our selfishness. Even when people are trying to do good things, there's something of themselves that gets into it, doesn't there? And we don't need to look at newspapers, we only have to examine our own hearts to know this is true. And God sees everything, and he sees the corruption. Now, in going to Genesis 6, we've actually skipped Genesis 5. And um, that's one of the reasons for reading through Genesis as a whole. You'll you'll catch more of the story. Genesis 5, I didn't preach on this morning, because in one level, it's boring. It's a family tree. It's a whole list of people begetting people and having kids and then dying and a new generation, and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. The family tree all the way from Adam right down to, well, Noah's somewhere down here. I sort of missed him. He's folded off the slide. Has anyone done their gene- genealogy? Going back and looked at the family tree and traced it all back. Has anyone done that? A few folk have. Yeah, yeah. My late uncle did ours. And he discovered a dark secret in our family. And when he went back a few generations, he saw that two of our ancestors got married were actually first cousins. Uh, And you look at me and you think, that explains a lot. (laughs) But here's the thing about genealogies, they're always full of dark things. Every time I I sit with a family, I I, I say, you know, there'll be some things perhaps that are difficult. Some relationships that don't work, and you know we need to acknowledge that as well and be sensitive about that. Genesis traces a genealogy that covers some 1,600 years. That's half the Old Testament's covered in one chapter. And symbolically, in Genesis, if you if you read it, you'll notice that the lifespans get shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, 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 why that is? I think it's less about historicity. Is it's more about a sign that actually, as things go on, they, they, they get worse. We, we find that Adam and Eve leads to Cain and Abel. Uh, it just seems to get worse as, as sin builds up because we leave a legacy of brokenness to our children and, and, and to their children, and that's the way that it goes. It's interesting that because you know our, our, our modern society has this myth, this alternative story that says we're getting better. You know, people talk about what is progressive. As if, as we go on, as we get more modern, as we get more technological, we get to be morally better. It's interesting that that myth really started its, its, its head in, in, in the 18th century, in the 19th century, and people believed it until they found that as we got more modern, we ended up in the trenches. And Hiroshima and Auschwitz, and what we found was all that we had done was create more technologically advanced ways of killing each other, and folk had a great humility at that point of looking back and saying perhaps it's not the case. As we get more modern, we, we get better. Some things get better, certainly. We, we learn things about ourselves, and, and that's good, and we, 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 we've reacted to things that our ancestors tolerated, but there's other stuff that our children's children will look back at and think, oh, how on earth did they do that? And you only have to look at some of the things that we're doing just now. That we're doing just now with stacking up debt that we're going to leave to our children. That we're doing just now with destroying a planet that we're going to leave to our grandchildren. To wonder and ask ourselves this myth that things necessarily get better as we go on in time. And that's old fashioned and we're modern. It's just that. The Bible tells an opposite story that perhaps sin trickles down and, and gets worse as things go on. As we move from caves to feudalism to liberal democracy to universal McDonald's, it may not all be a progress in a good direction. So when you hear that assumption that that which is modern is more moral, always have that question in the back of your mind, have we just found better ways that Genghis Khan couldn't have dreamt of of killing people? The earth was corrupt and full of violence, says the Bible. Now, what does that mean? Well, violence in, in Scripture doesn't necessarily just mean fisticuffs. When you, when you see the stories of Noah, it normally has a bunch of people hitting one another, and that's why God sent the flood. Violence actually means that which is destructive, that which is corrupt, which is overpowering the rules. So it, 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 it's social injustice. It's environmental damage. It's people doing things that are exploitative. It's corruption. It's the selfish, individualistic, environmentally destructive, socially unequal, short-sighted, exploitative, debt-addicted, future mortgaging that our generation knows as well as any other. Genesis is absolutely right. Things are not always getting better. And that is the story of The flood. You know, these words, though, of God, that he regretted what he made, we find hard. And we find hard, this this sense of God judging in the flood. And part of that is because we're like Adam and Eve. We don't like the idea of accountability. We like the idea we can do what we want to do, and, and no one's going to judge us for it. And the Bible says something very different. And Jesus, when he looked and spoke about the story of Noah, had no problem in saying that it actually is a story about judgment. It's a story about people being brought to account before God. But that's not the whole story. I would just remember before you go thoroughly depressed, this story doesn't end in rain, does it? It ends in the rainbow in that sign of hope. The first thing is that when God regretted what he had made, he didn't just simply say, oh, well, I'll rip it up and start again. I'll blow it up. It was much more than that. First of all, it was incredible patience. That's what chapter five tells us. 1,600 years of things getting bad, and God was patient. That's the heart of God. He loved, he wanted, he urged, he sent as things got worse. And we see that in the story of Israel as you read the whole of the Bible. How God for years, generation after generation, sent prophet after prophet after prophet because he wanted people to turn from their ways. Because he loved them and he cared about them. Peter puts it this way, 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But wanting people to come to repentance. Genesis 6, verse 6 puts it this way His heart was deeply grieved, deeply troubled. You know, what this is saying is God is weeping over the brokenness of the world, just as Jesus wept over Beth oh, 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 over Jerusalem. It's not that God is sort of looking down and saying, well, that didn't work. Let's rob it out and go again. That's not the heart of God. Rather, we're told, as God sees the injustice, his heart is pained. You know, when we see the things that are wrong in the world, do you feel sad? Do you? When you watch the news, do you feel sad? Do you feel angry? You're feeling the heart of God because you're made in his image. Intensify that now to the infinite God, the infinite perfect God. Imagine how sad he feels. Imagine how angry he feels because you feel it too. Imagine how much he wants it to be otherwise. Now God could have wiped it away. That could have been the last word of the story, but it's not. The story ends in rainbows. In fact, that's the whole message of of Genesis. In fact, it's the whole message of the Bible from chapter 3, when it starts to go wrong, right to the end of the book of Revelation, is how God is bringing rainbows into the rain. How God is trying to heal. God is planning to heal. And God ultimately will heal this broken creation. Sometimes we think we're pretty wonderful. You know, I I, I go to church. God must be pleased with me. (laughs) You know? I, I'm a good person. I deserve a good God. I deserve a God who's, who, who's going to, you know, and it, it, if that God disappoints me, doesn't give me what I think I deserve, or, or turns out to be harsh, I'm going to dump him and get a different one. But actually, we grieve God. It's not that he disappoints us. We disappoint him. Sin breaks his heart. And the Christian should know it. And when we see that, that's when grace breaks in that's when the rainbows become possible genesis 5 6 verse 8 says noah found favor in the sight of the lord or the older translations say noah found grace in the eyes of the lord i love that verse noah found grace in the eyes of the lord and we could take that further couldn't we brian found grace in the eyes of the lord jim found grace in the eyes of the lord and found grace in the eyes of the lord that's true of every one of us the lord has looked on us and he has shown us his grace he chose us and why did god chose noah well at one level a lazy reading of it we say well because noah was good he was the only good person he was the only good person here so what the message of the story is if you're bad you'll get flooded if you're good you get into the ark there you are go home work hard and get into the ark but that's not grace And that's not what the whole story is. And this is why we need to read the whole of Genesis. Because if you read the story of Noah and you go on and you get to chapter (laughs) 9, it ends in a horrible note, but actually a hopeful note. And here's the note. Chapter 9, verse 18 and following. Noah comes out of the ark. And the first thing he does, after he's worshipped God, he plants a vineyard. And he gets some wine, probably a whole suitcase of wine. And he has a party. And he gets steaming drunk. And he's lying in his tent, steaming drunk, naked, with the kids. Now whatever you think of Noah, the righteous man, blind drafting his trunk, you'd be calling the child protection officer at that place. The social work department would want a word with this guy. I don't know that he could be a BB officer after that. Now why is that hopeful? Because it tells us this, Noah was chosen by grace. That's what it meant for Noah to be righteous. It meant that God loved him. It, it meant more than that. It wasn't that he was perfect. Of course he wasn't perfect. Here he was. God had given him this new start, this new world, this beautiful place, all washed clean. And what was the problem? Well, Noah was in it. It's like, it's, it's like when people say about church, you know, you're all looking for the perfect church where nobody upsets you. No one says anything bad. Folk wander around sometimes. There are people who go around from church to church, keep changing the congregation, look for a perfect one. Here's the problem. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. Because you'll spoil it. You're right. Absolutely. What's the problem with the perfect world that God has washed clear? Actually, the perfect—the problem with it is Noah's in it. The drunken guy with all the sin, Adam and Eve. You know, here's the thing that the Bible says though, when it talks about Noah's righteousness, it says he walked with God. And that's just beautiful because that's what Adam and Eve did when they walked with God in the garden. That's what God wants us to do. And that's possible by grace. God walks with Noah, even though Noah, is righteous. He's got a heart for God, but it's a broken heart as well. And that's possible because of God's grace. It's possible for us because of Jesus Christ and his death for us. And that's massive. But here's the thing. This isn't just a story about how Noah got saved by grace. It's bigger than that. Because Noah has to build this big boat. Aircraft carrier dimensions. Rooms and decks and floors with animals and birds and the whole of creation. It's a 43,000 ton ship. Somebody worked that out by doing the... Whatever. What does that tell us? When God's in the business of salvation, he's not just in the business of saving souls to go to heaven. He's in the business of using them and involving them as they walk with him to redeem the whole of creation. That's what the story is all about. It's not just that we escape death and we escape judgment and we we know we're safe with God and we'll go to heaven and it'll be a wonderful place. It's actually the Lord who is calling us that we might be involved in his story. Plan that is right through the whole of scriptures to solve this problem of the is and the ought by God's healing of the world that it might be the place that it is. Now, again, Genesis. I, I, I'm a bigger story than Genesis 6. Genesis 5, going back again. There's a funny, funny verse that seems really strange, and it says simply this Enoch walked faithfully with God, and he was no more because God took him away. Now, it's a really strange verse because it doesn't explain itself. But what it seems to say is Enoch was walking with God so close to God that God took him to be in heaven. Now here's the thing. Some people think that's what it's all about. I I love God and whatever the world does, however bad it is, it's okay because God will take me to heaven. There's only one verse in the whole Bible where God does that. It's a guy called Enoch. Every other time God calls somebody, he doesn't say to them, come with me and go to heaven. He calls them to walk with him on the earth and to make things differently. Walk with me to Canaan, Abraham. We're going to do something together. There's going to be a nation. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. Walk with me, Joseph. Joseph. Trust me in your sin and your brokenness and your pride as a favored son. We're going to Egypt. We've got some saving to do because there's going to be a famine. Walk with me, Moses. I know you've had a bad start in life and you killed an Egyptian, but I want you to deliver my people from slavery as we walk together. Walk with me, Joshua. We're going into a new land and there's going to be all sorts of problems, but we're going to bring the walls down. Walk with me, Peter, and I will make you a fisher of men. That's what it means when God's grace calls us to walk. Noah could have built a raft and saved himself. He could have wee built a wee houseboat and got his family and a bit of food and been fine. But no, it was bigger than that. It was a dirty big ark that everyone was going to laugh at because Noah was going to be involved in ecological salvation. He was an echo warrior before there was an echo warrior. He was saving the bunnies and the rabbits and the whales and the bugs and the bees and the whole lot. God's salvation is zoological, ecological, environmental, economic, and every other ology you want to put there. Isn't that all amazing? Every time someone says, I'm not really into the Christian stuff, I'm into saving this or doing that or some other cause, I say, so is God, that's it's part of the plan of the gospel. Come and join us. Walk with a God of grace. It's why, as we're, and you're going to hear much more about this, but as we're looking at the mission of the church, the Church of Scotland has adopted, along with the Church of England and others, this five marks of mission. It's to say, yeah, it's proclaiming the good news of that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you will not die and you will have eternal life. And it's teaching and nurturing believers that they might grow in their faith and not just just believe, but, but learn the scriptures and learn learn what it is to worship and serve and be all these things it's responding and loving kindness as we as we feed the hungry and we we're, we're with the lonely and we make a difference in our community together and and separately it's fighting injustice and speaking out about what's wrong in the world today it's safeguarding creation it's all of these things as we proclaim the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. It's all of these things. And if we're going to be effective, we need to learn what it means to walk with God and have a heart for all these things. Why? Because God has a heart. Because it grieves God's heart as he sees the injustice of the world, and that is the story of Noah. And therefore, he invites Noah to be part of his salvation plan. It has a terrible cost, but it also has a full redemption message at the end of it. Genesis chapter 6 verse 22 says Noah did all this as God commanded him he obeyed. Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness building his ark in the middle of the desert dreaming of the world that was to come. You know it's always a story of hope that as God looks at the world as it is and the world as it ought to be. He is offering this new creation. The story of Noah ends with a rainbow, but it ends with something else. It ends in its picture language with this new world that is washed clean, where everything can be new again. Of course, it can't really because sin's still there in Noah's heart and as jewish people read that story of of noah one of the reasons they took it to heart was because they knew what it was to have a fresh start as you came through the water why because they had followed moses through the water of the red sea into a promised land a new start but they knew also that as they had done that they had like noah taken the sin with them and so it needed something deeper And what is the fulfillment of that in Scripture? It is the Lord Jesus Christ coming, the only truly righteous man. And he goes through the water of death and of resurrection. He does it for us in a way that Noah could never do it, that Moses could never do it, that we might enter into a new creation of perfection in him who's perfecting us. And that's why every Christian is marked out with what? Having passed through the waters just like Noah, just like Moses, just like Jesus himself, pass through the waters that point us to the new creation that God is making where the is and the ought will come together, where our creation will be healed, and we're invited to be part of that that is here. So, yes, yes, we can look at all of this and we can tremble with the God of justice or we can try to water it down and make it something else or we can see the rainbow of hope that lasts here and look at the whole of scripture to see that fulfillment. If you go right to the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the whole story, one of the wonderful things it says as it dreams and shows us this picture of the creation where God will walk human beings again, it says there will be no sea there will be no sea no more flood no more deluge no more brokenness no more need to wash anything clean because in Jesus Christ God will have made all things new trace the rainbows through the rain the rain the brokenness the sinfulness is still there but so is this promise that brings us on that our hearts yearn for And that we are offered in Jesus Christ in grace.